Father, we just want to thank you for the good testimonies tonight. We thank you for the things that we can see, answers to prayer, your your work in our lives. And Lord, we just thank you for the church. We thank you that we can be a part of you. The Bible says the church is your body. And Lord, we're thankful that you include us and that you want to use us in your service. We thank you for the blessings that we see each and every day. And Lord, we also want to thank you for the ones that we don't see, the ones we're not even mindful of. And yet, Lord, we know you are working. In your name we pray. Amen. Kids, quietly, carefully. All right. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles. And uh, go to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. And tonight what I'd like for us to do is just look at a prayer. This is uh, one of the famous prayers in the Bible. And uh, I, I would just like us, uh, this is our prayer meeting night. And I would like for us just to spend a few moments uh, going over this. The Lord has appeared to Abraham in the uh, outskirts of Hebron. And uh, he ate at the tent and he told Sarah that she was going to have a child. And, of course, she laughed. She says, how can someone 89 years old have a baby? And the Lord said, don't you laugh. You're going to have one. And she said, oh, I didn't laugh. She was afraid. And that, that was Isaac's name. Now, how would you like the Lord to give you a name? It's going to remind you every day of your lack of faith. And Abraham laughed too. People make the big deal, but you read a few chapters before, and Abraham said, let Ishmael live forever before you. And God said, that's not the one. He said, you're going to have one. You're going to have your own child. And just as the Lord was leaving, comes this passage, this prayer of Abraham, and many people have taken this thing wrongly, and this, I believe, is the singular passage. Uh, how many of you know what the phrase, Jew someone down, means? Uh, how many of you have heard that? It comes from this passage. And uh, people believe that that's what Abraham was doing, was whittling down uh, God's uh, requirements, but... I want you to understand nothing could be further from the truth. This prayer, as all true prayers, was not about Abraham. It's about God. And so let's look through this passage. Let's just read it first. We're going to start in verse 16. Read the whole way through. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham this thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, 
And because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes, peradventure. There shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there be, there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto them, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and and I will speak, peradventure there shall be thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet, but this once preadventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Now, this really was Abraham's prayer, was it not? I mean, he was talking to God. He was interceding to the very God of heaven on behalf of arguably the most wicked cities in the history of mankind. And I want to challenge you that God put this story in here because this is something that he wants to do in our lives. There's an example here. There's a pattern set here that, that is shown to us. The first point I would like to bring it out is that it was God that drew Abraham into intercession for the cities. Get the picture. He had just promised Abraham that he was going to see in the normal time period in nine months or so, He was going to have a son at a hundred years old. His wife was going to be 90. I mean, Abraham had waited his whole life for this moment. And Abraham had received that promise and he was smart enough to believe God. Sarah was still trying to get over the shock and... Imagine morning sickness at 89 years old. 
for the first time. I mean, that just doesn't make sense, does it? But God does things His way. And, and we need to follow Him. And Abraham had no problem. And as they finished the dinner, Abraham, I'm sure, was uh, struggling a little bit in his heart, but he knew enough to trust God and that God was going to do something. And they walk out. And then the Lord starts having a conversation with the angels that are with Him. Like, kind of like Abraham wasn't even there. Should I tell Abraham about this thing? Now, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you're with a group of people and they hit? Should we, uh, should we let Brother Mike in on the secret? I mean, what does that do to you? What, what secret? What's going on? Don't you think God knew what he was doing to Abraham? He's, he's reaching out there and putting a little hook to, says, Abraham, I want you to pray. And by the way, this is one of the famous prayers in the Bible. People study this thing. If you ever meet anybody that wants to teach you about negotiation, if they're, if they're good and thorough in their study, they'll mention Abraham and God. That Abraham negotiated with God and got what he wanted. Well, I want to challenge you. Nobody negotiates with God. But God was the instigator of this. He was the one that was tweaking Abraham's curiosity and his interest. And, and he, he's talking to the angels here and he's telling them that Abraham is going to order his family right. Abraham is going to do right. Abraham, I, I love the way this is worded here. It says, Verse 19, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Now, this last phrase, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. He said, I know that Abraham is going to order his family so that when Abraham's gone, His kids, his grandkids are still going to be doing right so that I can bless Abraham the way I said I was going to bless Abraham. Isn't that an incredible statement? I mean, this shows us what God wants to do. He wants to bless. He wants to give us those things that we so desperately try to get. And we pray and we pray and and nothing ever happens. You know what? God already wants the best for your life. That's part of being God. And we have to stop trying to get God to do what He's already going to do and start doing the things that God wants us to do and then God will do what He wants to do, wanted to do in the first place. The greatest hindrance to God's blessing in our lives is... Ta-da! The person you stare at in the mirror. It's ourselves. And he said, listen, Abraham, I know he's going to do this. And then the Lord tells Abraham what he's going to do. Now, let me ask you a question. Did not God already know what he was going to do? 
Was God really trying to figure something out? Absolutely not. But so then why was God going through this process? I want to challenge you to draw Abraham into an urgent prayer with God. He wanted Abraham to see something is going to happen. And it's not going to be good. I mean, Abraham, uh, we have no record that he had ever visited uh, these cities, that he had ever gone down there. Um, but you know what? You don't have to visit bad places to know they're bad. You know, years ago, uh, there was a pastor who was in the city, a Baptist preacher, and uh, people would come to visit him, and he would always take them to those parts of the city that we don't go to, to show them how bad it was. It always bothered me. In fact, I had some preachers uh, back before uh, Mayor Giuliani was around and cleaned up Times Square. Hey, can we go down to Times Square? And I said, you can go down to Times Square, but I'm not going down to Times Square. I already know enough garbage. I've already seen enough. I don't want to see any more of that stuff. If you really want to go down there, you go down there. And I'd do everything I could to shame them out of not going to make them feel like a uh, sinful person for wanting to go down there. Because why do you want to see this stuff? I just want to know how bad it is. No, God already knew how bad it was. Abraham already knew how bad it was. But God said, I'm sending down these angels to take a look so that Abraham would understand this isn't something that's going to happen down the road. This is something happening today. You know, God will put urgency in your prayers if you let Him. He'll, he'll turn up the heat a little bit. Don't be afraid when God turns up the heat, when He puts the pressure on. It, it just may be that He wants you to pray about something. And so Abraham watches these guys go off. He's, remember, they had just finished a meal, a time of fellowship. He had promised Abraham that son, that Isaac was going to be born. And there, Abraham is being the good host. He's walking them down the little pathway to the main road there from where his tent is. And all of a sudden, the Lord starts talking to the angel saying, should I tell Abraham about this? He says, well, I'm going to tell Abraham, and the guys walk off, the angels walk off, and he tells Abraham that he's going, sending them down to see how bad Sodom is. And the angels left, and the Lord's done talking, and it's one of those awkward moments. How many of you have been in awkward moments? I mean, it's just quiet. The Lord's just standing there. The men are walking down the road, and Abraham's gone. You know, whatever he was doing, you know, what do I do now? And then all of a sudden it dawned on him. Lot lives down there. God's going to destroy those cities. That means Lot's going to go too. And I don't know if. This is actually true or not, but I, the, the Bible tells us the Lord delights 
when we kind of when we finally figure out what he's trying to do in our life and we do it. That that's something that delights the Lord. That's something that pleases him. And, and I almost wonder if a little smile didn't crack across the Lord's face as he was standing there. He got it. And he knew that Abraham was going to pray. And he wanted to draw him in to this prayer. And Abraham starts talking. And I I want you to get this. Did not the Lord already know that the reason he sent the angels down there was not so much to investigate the city but to get Lot and his daughters out. Hello? He already knew that he was answering Abraham's prayer. You see, God always does right. The problem was Abraham didn't understand that yet. And God was using this prayer for an opportunity to teach Abraham about God. And that's why I've often used this phrase, prayer does not change God. God doesn't need to be changed. Prayer changes us so that God can bless us and give us what we need to serve Him. That's how prayer works. And this story is is such an incredible illustration because Abraham now steps forward before God and look look at the question he asks. Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? I mean, isn't that a pretty bold question? He says, you know what he's saying. He says, I know what's going to happen when those angels get down to those cities. You know what's going to happen when those angels get down to those cities. They are going to be destroyed because the wickedness that you're talking about, everybody knows it's there. He said, but what if there's some righteous people? Are you going to kill everybody? Just And I will tell you, history is has several times. There was once, uh, this was during the Middle Ages, during the Inquisition. Uh, in France, they had raised an army to destroy the cursed Anabaptist. They marched up to the city gate and, and uh, there was a, a, a monk that was leading the way. He had uh, made contacts in the city with some Catholic uh, people in the city and had betrayed the city. They knew that they were going to uh, not be held up by the walls or the gates of the city, that they were going to... Uh, be able by subtlety to sneak into that city and overwhelm its defenders and kill all the hated Anabaptists. And the monk went to the general of the army and said, how are we going to separate the Catholics, the true believers, that's what they called them, from, from the cursed Anabaptist? And the answer was simply this, we're just going to kill them all. He said, God knows how to separate his own. See, that's what man does. And that's what they did. They slaughtered that village, every man, woman, and child. Because that was how much they hated people who believed the Bible. Now we have God saying, 
There's two cities down here full of people that hate me and despise every good thing that I do. And I'm going down to check them. Their cry has come up. Their time has run out. The angels are on their way. And Abraham, you see, Abraham doesn't really understand about God yet. God's going to use this time to teach him, to help him. And he says, God, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? And and look how he phrases this question. Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for for the fifty righteous that are therein? Now look at Abraham's presumption. That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Wow. Can you imagine talking to the Lord this way? But let me ask you a question. Was Abraham right? Yes, he was. Did Abraham have biblical precedent for asking this question? Yes, he did. Because God does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. It's it's not there. He took Noah and his family in the ark and destroyed the whole rest of the world by a flood. Uh, Abraham understood the history and the work of God. And so he is asking God an honest question. It's not the way we ask questions. I'll I'll tell you, sometimes people ask questions and and they have an ulterior motive to the question. How many of you have ever run into somebody like that? You know, is God really righteous? Is how, How come he's the only one that determines what's holy and what's not? And they... They, they have all these questions. They, they wouldn't want answers to them if you could give them to them. They wouldn't accept them. But that's not what Abraham was doing. And here's the next point. God drew Abraham into this prayer. God gave him curiosity. He gave him urgency. And now look at God's patience with Abraham's misunderstanding of the character of God. Aren't you glad God is patient? I'll tell you what I am. I'm glad that God puts up with us. And you know, Abraham then begins to think. Fifty. Let's do the numbers. Had Lot, Mrs. Lot. Two daughters came with Lot out of the city of Sodom. So that's four people. He had other daughters. It does not make mention of any sons in the city that were married to the men of Sodom. So that would make the least number at least two other daughters. So that makes the family of Lot minimum. Of six people. Could have been more. What was the quote unquote magic number? Ten. Now I want you to notice something here. 
God allows Abraham to go from 50 to 10 in his request. But look at this last verse here. It says, And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. So, the Lord says, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. Turns around and walks away. End of conversation. You know why God did that? Because he wasn't going to let Abraham go any lower. Because he knew the cities would be destroyed. He stopped Abraham from praying for something that he didn't want Abraham to pray for. That's important. Because so often we pray for things that God doesn't want us to pray for and then we're disappointed when God doesn't do what we've asked Him to do. Now, God had to limit Abraham here because of the nature of mankind, because Abraham did not have the printed Word of God as we do. He did not have a church and a fellowship of believers, all the things that we have today. I'll tell you what, if you'll spend some time in this book, it will put some limits on things that you pray for. Amen? Boy, it got quiet. You know, when we pray for certain things, we we better make sure that we're praying biblically. God kept Abraham in a biblical mode of prayer, and he will keep you in that too, as long as you stay in the Word of God. So Abraham sent the angels, and the next morning they got Lot and his two daughters that were with him, and they got him out of the city, and the fire came down and destroyed the city, and of course we know what happened to Mrs. Lot as she turned around and looked at the city and was consumed in the destruction of the city said she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, let's go down to chapter 19 and verse 29. Now, let's do verse 27. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace and it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt now I want you to stop and think about something here If we could just picture Abraham getting up early the next morning and standing there in the darkness as the sun began creeping over the horizon. He had no way of knowing what was happening. 
those angels had grabbed a hold physically of Lot and his wife and his daughters and drugged them out of the city and took them to the entrance of this little town that they, were, they had prayed for. And, and Lot had said, please, let, let us stay right here. This is just a little town. And the angel said, I've heard you, but I can't do anything until you're out of the city. And while that was going on, unseen, Abraham just stood there in the silence and waited. And the sun began to creep up over the hill and all of a sudden, the entire plain went black. It says the smoke of a furnace. It didn't light up. It got dark. And blotted out the sun. Archaeologists said they believe they have found the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Now, it talks here about that being a plain. A plain is a flat, level space. It said it was like the Garden of Eden. The, the Dead Sea is now the lowest spot, uh, the deepest depression on the face of the earth. And the only thing that grows there is bacteria. Now, this happened in Abraham's lifetime. This was somewhere around 2,200 years before Jesus was born. Let's add another 1,900 or, I mean, 2,000 years to that or so. I mean, this happened 4,000 years ago, and the only thing that's left there, the only life that's there is bacteria. Microscopic organisms. That's pretty serious destruction. Would you not agree with me on that? Now, here's Abraham. And he's looking at the blackness and the destruction and the smoke just billowing up and filling the sky. What do you think his first thought might have been? There weren't ten. Is that a far stretch? There weren't ten. You know what God was doing? God was giving Abraham confidence in his goodness, even at a time of great destruction and judgment that came from God. Do you get that? Abraham understood that God had gone down there and examined these cities and looked for ten souls. He would later find out, I'm sure, through the grapevine, through some type of contact, that Lot and his family had been taken out of the city before the destruction came. You know what Abraham was doing? Wow, I was right about God. I understood his character. He will not destroy the ju- the wicked with the with I mean the just or the righteous with the wicked. God uh, does things that are right and holy. And God will judge sin. 
And yet Abraham had this one thing that we often overlook. I've heard many people preach on this passage and just not, not get this one. Abraham had the confidence that he had done all that he could on behalf of the wicked people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you see that? He had prayed. He had prayed 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. And God had heard him in each instance. Who else was going to pray for Sodom and Gomorrah? Nobody. But Abraham did. And it gave him confidence in God's grace, in God's deliverance, and yet in God's holiness. In God's love and His goodness and yet God's judgment. It also helped him surrender to the question of God's judgment. You know, sometimes we read and we study about a place called hell in the Bible. And everything the Bible tells us about it, it's terrible. It is beyond human comprehension. It was created for the devil and his angels. God never intended for a human being to be there. But the question is, what is he supposed to do with a human being that has rejected his love and his grace and refused the salvation that God so greatly offers? What else can God do? I don't know of anything. Someone said, well, I ought to just let him into heaven anyway. Well, take a look around you. What kind of God would it be that would allow what has happened here on this earth to happen in heaven again? Hello? That makes even less sense than anything that I could think of. God has done everything possible to save the lost. What we need to do is allow God to draw us into a prayer relationship with Him. Allow God to give us those biblical parameters for prayer. Because God wants to answer prayer. And let's just take a moment here and go to Second Peter chapter 2 for just a second. Second Peter chapter two. And why don't we start in verse six? It says, In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and deliver just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul day from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment 
to be punished. God knows how to deliver. There were fewer than ten. But when God's destruction rained down upon that city, there were zero righteous in the city. You know what? The God of the earth, the judge of the earth, always does right. And he used this opportunity so that when Abraham would see God's judgment the next morning as the sun came up, that his faith would still be in the God that is good. I believe that's the story. And that's what happens when we pray biblically. Amen? There's lots of things the Bible tells us to pray for. In fact, our prayer list on the third Sunday of the month is for our leaders, for our government. Why does God tell us to pray for these people? Because they need it. Amen? Uh, I can't think of any group of people uh, on the face of this earth that need prayer more than politicians. Uh, It is a dirty world. It is corrupt from the get-go. It is built on lies and deception. And that's really all that happens anymore in D.C. and and places of, of city government. It's a sad treatise on where we've come as a nation. What are we supposed to do? I'll tell you what we're supposed to do. Pray. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pray for them and pray for this country knowing that God's judgment is coming. I had one guy tell me, he said, you're just feeding meat to the bear that's going to eat you. He was advocating, trying to overthrow and change the government and do all these crazy things. And I said, you know something? I said, you can take your approach if you want. And yes, I do understand that we're feeding meat to the bear that's going to eat us. The Bible says the government's going to persecute Christians. It just does. It's going to happen. Don't be shocked. Don't be afraid. Pray to God. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Amen? But the truth is, I'm not going to do. And by the way, he didn't do what he said he was going to do. And never will. You see, God wants us to be in prayer to him. Because he still answers prayer. If he took Lot and his family out, guess what? He'll answer our prayers. We can have confidence in that. And that's why we need to earnestly pray. And so let's just have a moment here. If you want to come to the altar, you may pray. If you want to just pray in your seat. And then we'll get into our prayer time tonight.